And so you actually can post the right thing and be politically correct and still remain ignorant in your heart and not do any of the work that is required to see things from somebody else's perspective. But your tweet looks good. Well, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. Jonathan here with you one more time for another episode with our Dear White Leaders series. I have to say that I've really enjoyed these. Um, I've grown a ton listening to them, and I've enjoyed sitting with you guys. If you guys have been soaking them up, we've seen people share, like, comment, and engage, and this is what these have been designed for, and we know that these have been real topics. They've been real conversations, and we're getting a different perspective that I don't think a lot of people have really sat and listened to for a while, and it's been really good. It's a hurtful topic, but I think that's really good. Um, for me, you know, one of the things I've loved to do this year that I've invested in personally is my fitness and my physical health. And when you invest in your physical health, whether it's running or lifting weights, um, it can be hurtful. It's sore. But what you're doing is you're growing. And when you grow muscles and you're, you're getting your heart stronger with cardiovascular health, it can be, you know, there's soreness attached to it because the muscles are growing. And when we grow, things are uncomfortable and it can be a little bit painful. And so there's pain in these conversations, but it's good pain. And it's good to hear and listen and learn so that we can understand other perspectives and the better way to go about approaching the subject of racial reconciliation in this country. Because as Myron said on our last episode, there's been a lot of half-built bridges that we've done. We've always gone part of the way, but we've never really gotten all the way there. And so we hope these conversations will be a practical tool to go back to and listen to and share with other people to keep listening and keep learning and keep taking next steps towards getting all the way there because there is a brighter future ahead of us and we can get there together. So before we jump into our episode, I want to remind you one more time to head over to stayforth.com forward slash field notes. That's stayforth.com forward slash field notes. We know a lot of you found it. We've had some great words of encouragement, but we've put together a ever-growing list of resources for white leaders to educate themselves that's full of great movies, great books, and great thoughts that we want to keep growing and sharing to you. We'll continue to add to it, but make sure you head over to stayforth.com forward slash field notes. That's stayforth.com forward slash field notes. And without further ado, I'm going to let us jump into today's conversation where Alan sits down with Ryan Leak. Well, friends, welcome back to another episode of Dear White Leaders. I've learned a ton. This is a season of listening. If you are a white leader, please continue to listen during this time. I'm learning a bunch myself. We've been getting tons of text, emails, and DMs saying thank you for this time. So we want to continue to resource you uh, during this time so you can continue to educate yourself, to listen, to reach out to a friend, to have an honest conversation. We want to help you do that better at Stay Forth Designs. Uh, and today, uh, a new friend of mine, Ryan Leak, is jumping on the podcast to continue this series. Ryan, so good to see you, man. Thanks for jumping on. Yeah, man. I'm honored to be here, man. Absolutely honored. So you do a lot of stuff, a whole lot of stuff, besides <laughs> just chasing your kids around and uh, sure. loving your wife well. Uh, can you just kind of open us up, just kind of crack open your life for us? How do you describe your vocation? Um, I describe it in four buckets. Um, the bucket I probably operate in, in the most is um, speaking. Um, that's in corporations, that's in churches. Um, I'm on five different teaching teams at churches around the country. Um, and I very much enjoy, you know, rotating between the churches and 
and jumping into their series. That's, that's a lot of fun. And then throughout the week, I'm getting to speak for various corporations. Um, the second hat that I have is an author, written a couple of books, working on a couple of more books as well. Um, the third uh, bucket is uh, executive coaching. So some companies hire me not to just speak, but to actually coach their leadership team or do some leadership seminars. I'm a certified Enneagram coach. So that's sort of the, the foundation of which I use um, a lot of my, my coaching with. Um, and then the, the fourth hat is uh, my podcast, uh, which is called LifeCast with Ryan Lee. And so I am a, a speaker, author, executive coach, and podcaster is it, the best way to sum up my, my vocation. Just to name a few things. You're a busy man. I know you've been speaking a lot. Sure. Uh, so appreciate you coming in and shaping us today. Again, we yeah. invite you to speak honestly to leaders who are listening. I'm sensing a great humility of a lot of leaders leaning in during this time in this season. And those are the kind of leaders that we want to resource at Stay Forth. So I want to start by getting sure. personal for us. How has the murder of George Floyd and the surrounding reactions in our culture, how's that affected you personally, Ryan? Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, it, it's, a it's, a, it's a challenge because I vacillate between being a black person and being a black leader and being a black Christian. And I feel like, you know, at one o'clock I can feel one of those. And at two o'clock I can feel another one of those. And at three o'clock I can feel a different one. So. Um, it just depends. It depends on the day, you know, you are, um, you know, I'm, I'm always just trying to process, you know, basically how do we get better? How do we move forward? Um, while not missing the moment and, and feeling the moment. Um, so for me, uh, it was very difficult to watch eight minutes and 46 seconds. Um, honestly, my first feeling on it was, I was confused. I was like, this doesn't make sense. What did he do? He must be a mass murderer. He must be a serial killer. Um, I, I was just, I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. I just, and why isn't anyone checking his pulse? And, you know, maybe the other two officers were. It's just, it was just a very, very bizarre thing, more, more than before I felt uh, any sort of anger or, or hurt. Um, but you know, as a as a as an African American, there's a there's a bunch of feelings that you can have when you see a video like that. Um, honestly, a lot a lot, a lot of African American friends that I have um, have been so numb and desensitized to videos like this um, that it's like, oh, it's another one. Um, and I think part of part of the um, dehumanization of people of color can kind of be, um, it, it has sort of varying degrees, I think, you know, it's, um, but yeah, the, the George Floyd thing, I, I think, I think it, it has brought about a lot of, a lot of different conversations. And, uh, for me, I've, I've had some of the best conversations I've ever had around race, um, in the past three weeks. And so, um, so yeah, so it's, it's been up and down. Uh, it just depends on, on kind of the day for me personally. And talk about that leader side just a little bit. That's an interesting thing that sure. you say. That's sort of the tripod, maybe that your life sits on those three things in the leader space. 
of that. What are you, what are you feeling from this? And then what are you seeing out there among other leaders across the country? White leaders, black leaders, or leaders in general? <clears throat> I'd love to hear from other black leaders and, and just the conversations that you're having. Again, white leaders listening want to learn. And so help us learn what other black leaders may be thinking, experiencing from, from your mm-hmm. vantage. So um, <clears throat> part, part of, I think the biggest hurdle for black leaders is exhaustion of going, I've been trying to tell you this for a long time and there's often not listening. So there can be somewhat of an arrogance of, we got this, we'll figure it out. Um, That I think is frustrating for a lot of black leaders. Um, Cynthia Marshall, um, also known as Cynthia Marshall, CEO of the Dallas Mavericks, she she often says this, Diversity is being invited to the party, but inclusion is being asked to dance. Diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. Here's what that means. There are many black people or people of color that can be hired. They can even be at the table. That's if they get to the table. Good luck getting to the table. But if you make it to the table, that's that's about as far as you can get but even if they're if they've made it on staff if they've been at the table they often aren't given a voice in the organization but they're invited to every photo shoot so i think a lot of the conversations that a lot of black leaders are having is is going you can't just have us in the meeting for the picture wow Uh, there's there's gotta be um and that doesn't mean you have to do what every black person on your staff says do, but you have to value their perspective as you would your right hand or someone else in the organization that they're listening to. So, so I think there's, there's lots of uh, conversations around that. Um, I love uh, dissecting business meetings, any, any, any sort of meetings, because it's, it's almost like a social experiment every meeting for me. And I like to observe and to see whose voices are silenced and whose voices are echoed, whose uh, voices are admired and loved, and to see how influence sort of bounces around in a room. And um, I love pausing the meeting and pointing out the person whose voice is valued the least because they're going to have the perspective, most likely, of the people we're trying to serve the ones that have been silenced. And so I like to leverage my influence and go, Hey, you, what do you think? And they're always kind of like me. I'm like, yeah, you, the fact (laughs) that you've been the most quiet, like I want to, I want to hear from you. I bet there's gold on the inside of you. So, um, so that, that's one of the conversations I think, um, you know, there's many conversations (laughs) that I'm having with, (laughs) black leaders and white leaders, you know, how much time you got <laughs> <laughs> six hours later, we get to the, right. the end of it. Right. For no, sure. that, that's good. That that's really good. Even if we can just think through the photo shoot versus the actual mm-hmm. hearing at the meeting uh, of that, I think that's, that's a point. And you guys were, or you and I are wired up similar, man, of just thinking about yeah. 
how do we look as a coach? How do we look as almost an internal consultant in the things that we don't even see within our organizations? How could we even see 10% clear, 20% clear in this next season? Right. Um, it's such a, it's such a good perspective, Ryan, anything else on that? Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I think that there's some, you know, I think we, we've got to look at our boards and, and, um, and people that are in power in our organizations and just ask ourselves, what do they look like? <laughs> you know, um, again, I, I think it's one thing to be at the table. I think it's another thing to, to have a voice. And, um, and I think looking at who's on our boards, who are our elders, who are our stakeholders, who, who, are, who are the ones that are given the most opportunities. Um, you know, and I think we just have to ask ourselves that question a lot, a lot of times I think we don't, we don't know what we don't know. So for example, earlier today, I pulled up on my maps. I live in Dallas and, uh, Dallas is split between virtually, um, North Dallas and South Dallas. North Dallas is, uh, much more affluent. Uh, there's a lot more money in North Dallas than there is in South Dallas. Um, South Dallas is where the hood is considered lower income housing. Um, and j- just for perspective, all I did was in my maps, I typed in, I-, I zoomed out to just the city of Dallas, the Metroplex in and of itself. And I just typed in Whole Foods, Whole Foods, not one in South Dallas. Well, wow. not one. Again, because if you're living in North Dallas, you're just going, man, just go to Whole Foods and get something to eat. And that's how you can be healthy. You have to understand something. You, you don't even think about there not being a Whole Foods somewhere else. It's, it's just not even in your, you just, you know your world. So, so if you walk into your boardroom and it's a bunch of white people, why would you think that there's something wrong with that? <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't seen it another way. And so you think, well, isn't this, this, this is like, I just kind of picked people that were, qualify i wasn't necessarily trying to make it all white i was just going man who are some people that are good with their family they're good with money or they're good with business or they got some ideas they've been around they've been supportive they've given you know however you make decisions about who's on the board but you don't know because you just don't know so so i i think part of um part of the work of of a leader is doing is educating ourselves on going wait a minute is is there, do I need to look within to kind of go, wait a minute, so, something's off. Um, I would say the common denominator of every black leader <laughs> that is in a predominantly white space um, spends at least a portion of their week lying to keep their job. Wow. Tell me more. And, and, and maybe not lying, but not being a hundred percent who they are or giving their, their truthful thoughts in a moment, because it is exhausting being the other. It's exhausting. You have to wake up every day thinking, I really want to be that guy today again. Like sometimes I just want to be a guy, not that guy. And sometimes it's easier to just be like, all right, I'm just doing my job. I don't, I don't really, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like marching today. <clears throat> Every day can't be a protest. 
And, you know, it just, it, it can be very, very exhausting. I, I talked to more black leaders in the last couple of weeks that were seconds from quitting. Mm. I, I know some that actually did. That just said, man, I'd rather be broke than to have to convince someone to value my perspective. Thank you for sharing that. That's really yeah. helpful. And again, we're going for helpful. Thank you for digging a little bit below the surface. I sure I have had more conversations over the, now that you say that over the last few weeks with my black friends, especially leaders that say, I am exhausted. But if I'm honest, I was exhausted before COVID. I'm a different kind of exhausted now. So that makes so much sense. And I just want to like sit in that. It is exhausting to always be the other. That hearing Mm -hmm. that, and you are a white leader, to even begin to process that we are fish that are being described to us. And we have no idea sometimes what Mm -hmm. we're talking about. So thanks for the water to me today. And, um, Public atrocity like this happens after George Floyd. Uh, What's helpful for me as a white friend to say to a black friend? And then, of course, Mm -hmm. what's not helpful at all and maybe even hurtful? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I sent you examples of the latter. Yeah, yeah, the latter latter was was more easier than the... uh, than the former. Uh, Let's start with the former. Um, I think uh, something that you can be asking your um, black employee, um, black colleague, black friend, black family member, um, how are you processing? How are you processing all of this? Uh, is, is a pretty safe question. I think it's a, it gives them the space to, you know, I've, I've heard things like, you know, I know black people are angry right now. And it's like, well, not all black people are angry right now. It's an assumption. Um, I've heard people say, um, I know you're scared right now. And like, not all black people are scared right now. So, so sometimes I think we may, we can make assumptions about a person being there, but you actually have to give them the space to actually feel that not pretend to feel that. So, um, so I, I think, I think reaching out to, um, reaching out to them and, and just see, just see how they're processing things. Um, another question that I've, I found to be very interesting, um, if, if, if someone has an answer to it, um, is, Hey, what's the most meaningful thing you've seen a white person do in the last month? Wow, I like What's the that. thing that spoke to you. What what what's something that you saw and you went that moved me? Um, they may not have an answer, but but if they do, it 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 would be very interesting. So I asked my brother that question. I said, "Hey, what's the most meaningful thing a white person's done for you in the last month?" He said, um, "Actually, um, a person reached out to me and offered to pay for my daughter's books for the first year of college, just to give her one step ahead." And I was like, "Wow." You know, I was like, I didn't, you know, <laughs> he just answered like, the question, you know, I, could yeah. I get their name? Uh. Yeah. Right. You know, you're like, this is, this is, this is a, so you just never know like a text or um, what, what anybody has done, you know, you, you just, you really never know until, until you ask. And so, um, 
so every every person's different. I think um, I am as a leader trying to not figure out what we need to do for black people. Um, because when you say black people, who gets to represent black people? Jay-Z, Beyonce, Obama, Tupac? Mm-hmm. Like who gets to, who gets to represent Kanye? Like I, there is no one, no one has voted a <laughs> black representative. Like no one gets so when you say black people, it's like you you really you really can't you really can't can't put everybody in that in that category. I, I've been what I've been encouraging leaders to do, not just white leaders, all leaders, is to not forget to leave space in the story especially in our theories for the art of one of, of really going, who is the one person? Like I really want it to be their story. And when I hear my black friend's story, I don't need to copy and paste that for every black person that I meet. So if you're, if your colleague is scared, that doesn't mean all black people are scared. It means your colleague is scared and let that be the story. And, and then you, you might go to your neighbor and your neighbor's like, man, I'm, I'm actually not scared. I'm sad. And so now your neighbor is sad and your colleague is scared. And then you talk to me and you're like, and he's exhausted. And so we all have three different prevailing emotions that you can't put anybody into all of the same category. You've just got to, to let them each be the individual. And I think that's the best way that we can really care for people during this time. That's good. Um, That's good. The uh, the latter, uh, what's not helpful? Uh, I mean, I'm sure someone else has already said this. All lives matter. Um, well, let's look at the facts. Uh, let's uh, let's wait for the judicial system to to carry itself out. Um, somebody said to me, "Let's not call it murder yet." <laughs> I thought that was funny. Hmm. Um, so as a leader, um, and as a person that is pretty objective when it comes to this type of stuff, my wife would probably tell you anytime I'm emotional, she gets paralyzed because she doesn't see it very often. She's seen it like twice in our marriage. I'm a very <laughs> logical person. Sure. Um, so I'm an objective person. I am a facts person. Um, I'm a, you know, I try to be pretty as a coach, as a consultant, you know, you, you have to be objective and and kind of see things from the middle seat. Um, in, in this season, um, I think we, we have to be people that show that we care about the person first before we get to the issue. And, and, and I get white people are under, are under verbal attack in this season of our country. And so white people are naturally defensive. That makes sense. Um, and so they're going, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. You, we can't just say all white people are all police. No, let, let's look at the facts. But I think as leaders, we've got to be people that pause. And when, when a statement is made, um, there, there are, um, there there are two ways to respond. And again, who you really are is revealed in your tone, not what you say. Yeah. And you can always tell when a person is going, 
they're looking to be exonerated from white people statements. And they're, so I, I can tell you just by how people send me Candace Owens videos, like their tone and how they send it tells me whether or not they're, they're, they're trying to line up as many facts as they possibly can to get them out of having to have com- uncomfortable conversations and going, I think this thing is just, uh, uh, w- w- it's been overblown and it's, and, and again, I think what George Floyd has, has, has given us is it's given us conversations about other things that we weren't willing to talk about before. So 98% of the conversations I'm having right now aren't about George Floyd. They're about inequalities that exist in organizations, church, corporate, America, you name it. And so it, it has awoken a conversation while some people, maybe in the news or, you know, protests or riots, were a major part of the conversation. But the residue of those things has really been, we, we've got to look in the mirror and go, is there something with us that we need to address? And um, I can't tell you how many, um, and I wouldn't dare say their names, but I can't tell you how many um, white leaders I've talked to in the last month that called me and asked me what to say and didn't ask me how I was doing. Give us us a PR statement without even knowing how you were processing that. So that feels feels Uh, hurtful. That can't feel good. Well, you know what? That that was my bad because I I almost prided myself on being that guy. Mm. I'm the safe black phone call. Brian's probably not angry. And he can help, mm. like, help me process this. And that's okay. I get that. And that, that's where their mind is. Their mind is going, man, there's somebody on my team. Their heart's broken. I don't know what to do. Man, let me call Ryan. So I'm honored by that phone call. But at the same time, what, what I started to realize over the past five years is that I had had a career where I was helping white leaders craft statements but I never allowed God to change their heart or their thinking. And so you actually can post the right thing and be politically correct and still remain ignorant in your heart and not do any of the work that is required to see things from somebody else's perspective, but your tweet looks good. Yep. That'll preach. Yeah. Right there. So, Oh, and, and, and trust me, I, I know, plenty of leaders who have African-Americans in their corner that are helping them write and craft. And, and on some level you just go, it's nice that we got the 140 characters out, but you know, they're the same person that they were before you, you, you simply help them not look bad and help them escape the jaws of the proverbial black Twitter. (laughs) Wow. That's so many people are afraid of. So, you know, in a culture, you got to say something, you got to say something, you got to say something. It's like, man. And then, then we, then they did say something, but they didn't mean it. Um, I, I, it was me and my wife's anniversary a couple of weeks ago. And um, I, you know, ordered her some flowers and the card gave me an option, you know, Hey, write something to your wife. I said, okay, great. And it said, struggling to write, to come up with something, here are some suggestions. I was like, oh, I'm curious what the suggestions are. And <laughs> one of the things said, um, you can't 
spell quarantine without you are a QT. And I thought, you know what, that's pretty clever and that's pretty funny. But the only problem is, is my wife knows for a fact I would never say that. (laughs) (laughs) So there's an inauthenticity that comes with it. And when they don't mean it, it's like someone saying, I'm sorry, and you know they're not. And they're like, well, I said I was sorry. It's like, it would be nice if you were sorry and didn't say it than to say it and not mean it. Yeah. Wow. So, so anyways. Yeah. So, so much there, Ryan, I want to dig deep on something that you said, pause earlier. And then the idea of you got to post, you got to post, you got to post. When is silence helpful from white leaders and when is it hurtful? I think we can sometimes overestimate social media posts and underestimate phone calls and text messages um, so to, to the one. <clears throat> so here's what I mean by that. Uh, so one of my best friends reached out to me after Elon Arbor and he knew I was running every day in May. He called me after the video went viral and he said, he called me three times and I was in the middle of something. So I stepped out and I said, man, this must be an emergency. I said, man, are you okay? And he said, are you okay? I said, yeah. He said, dude, I never thought I would be afraid for my best friend to go running in his neighborhood. I'm shaking right now. And I just, I just wanted to make sure you were okay. He didn't tweet that. It was a genuine response to what he saw. There was no political maneuvering of maybe I'll say the right thing or, um, you know, it was, it was just genuine. He didn't put it in a sermon. It was just, it was just him being a friend. Um, so I think that, um, silence is a very interesting thing because, um, you know, I know pastors that are meeting with DAs in Dallas that are bringing about change. They're not posting about it. Their voice is very loud and nobody would know it. Yet, someone might look at their social media and go, they don't care. Yeah. Like, well, you, so you can't be held prisoner. And then some would say, well, why not do both? Um, which is, I guess you could do, but I think whatever we do, whatever you do, it's just got to be genuine. It's got to be authentic because, you know, um, so let's take, for example, I don't like taking shots at, at, uh, at public figures, but I'll just give you an example because I saw it and I laughed. Roger Goodell's statement um, in response to the NFL players video. Um, I don't know who his PR person is. Um, I don't know. I don't know who wrote that statement, but we know he did not like, and you would think whoever his PR person is or whoever the PR person is for the NFL, you would think that the person would like write it in Roger's voice to at least make it sound like a human was talking. He looked like he was captured by a terrorist and someone had a gun to his head and said, read this statement 
for America. That's how he looked. Now, I can't speak to his heart. I can't speak to, but it was just like, it, it just, it just felt, it just felt weird. Now, a lot of people are going, man, I'm glad he said something. You know, he just encouraged teams to sign Colin Kaepernick. He just, you know, so I, I think he's trying. I think he's trying to figure out what's best. Um, and you can't knock anybody for trying. I, I think what I just want to encourage leaders to do is to be authentic in whatever, whatever you're doing, whatever you're posting. Um, and sometimes, um, <laughs> sometimes you call it murder. <laughs> sometimes if you see someone get murdered, you call it that. Yep. I, I mean, sometimes it's just that simple. Not, we need a verse. We're going to mourn with those who mourn. If I see another verse, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> but it's like, we know what they are. So um, not an analogy, not a Martin Luther King Jr. quote. Um, an authentic response to just going, I just, I just saw murder and I don't know how to respond. I, I actually would respect that post. <laughs> I just, yeah. I just saw murder and I don't know how to respond. It's the truth. Yeah. It's Thank you for eloquent. telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Like you just, I mean, even when I, I think, I don't know what I posted about George Floyd. I, I think I retweeted somebody and just said, wow. Like I didn't even, it was, what it did one say after they experienced that. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, wow. I don't even, you know, so, um, so I think it, it, it puts everyone in a little bit of a position of just like, I don't, you know, but I, I think everyone's in politically correct mode. Um, I don't know that everyone's in God changed my heart and helped me think better mode. Yeah, there it is. And does that make sense? And so I think oh, that's it, what we have to be You can't be, be in both, right? Of. Yeah, it, you, I don't think you can. And so it's like, we, we can't get in and I also think we have to adjust our expectations um, because it's uh, sometimes I think we have leader arrogance, believing we can solve all issues um, when I don't know that we can, you know, there's, there's just some things that will just be, you know, as a Christ follower, I'm never surprised when people that don't follow Christ act like people that don't follow Christ. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I just, I just like, can you believe he was murdered? Uh, yeah. Actually, actually, I can. it's not like a pastor is out here going, we need to let, 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 let's do these heinous crimes. You know, it's like, they're just, they're just, they're just dudes. And none of them are claiming to be, you know, Jesus Jesus followers. So it's like sometimes I think we want to hold the government to to the Bible. It's like, well, they're politicians. They're not pastors. You know, it's like I, I don't I actually don't have that high of expectations for um for government officials. And I, I mean maybe maybe I should. Maybe that's error in my thinking, but I'm just like, I mean, we know what they are. Like there's no surprise there. We've seen enough. TV and enough BS in news conferences to know who these people really are and, and what they're so I, I think to have the expectation that they're going to 
change is, um, in my opinion, quite frankly, a waste of energy. So I think what we can do is we can look at our own circles, our own tables, and and do our best to make them as diverse and inclusive as possible and to um, to speak up and, and let people allow people to be heard. I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in where someone asked me what I thought and they cut me off before I even finished my thought. <laughs> mm. I mean, it's just so funny. Ryan, what, what do you think's happening? Well, oh, you know what? <laughs> I, I think, and it was like, okay, cool. So am I here to hear what you think or what, what are we doing? And that's fine. I'll listen to you, but I always listen to you. I don't always have a choice. Dude, you're being insecure to cut this off, man. I'm just like, oh, I don't want to cut him off, but dang, this is good, Ryan. So helpful, man. And I actually thought your your podcast May 7th on Amada Arbery mm-hmm. was super helpful as well. Oh, thanks, man. Um, yeah, and and I'm honestly looking for handles. I'm looking for handles on how do I have discussions with yeah. two black kids about this that want to discuss this at very different levels and are asking different questions and we're, we're wrestling. So I just want to say thank you for being helpful. And even just to say, be genuine, whether it's privately or publicly, just be genuine. We can respect that. Uh, I also think our generation does have a whole lot lower bar on politicians and perhaps the brokenness and busted up ness of the world right now. Um, Mm-hmm. And I, I'm crazy enough to believe that Christians could actually pave the way. We have some robust thinking and theology and ways to love each other um, that has been yeah. modeled to us um, in this. Yeah. Uh, man, a lot of a lot of slacktivists out there, social media warriors out there. Um, but people who are listening, uh, if you're a white leader, you you have some kind of influence either with your family or a few friends. Uh, maybe with teams, organizations, anything else that white leaders maybe specifically and practically can do for to to fight for equity and reconciliation? Yeah. Um, so I, I actually was doing a, a, a leadership session in Atlanta and uh, the panel discussion got turned to talking about women in ministry and, and women in leadership. And I was on a panel with a woman who uh, she said something that I just thought was so profound and it really changed um, really how I view organizational leadership. She uh, is a white woman that works for a black leader, a black pastor. And, and she said, he allows me to teach on certain weekends. Um, I forget how many throughout the year, but she said, he doesn't give me opportunity without training. So on Tuesday, she has to deliver to him a manuscript of what she plans on teaching that weekend. On Friday, she has to preach it to the staff, and then that gets critiqued. So she's been critiqued two to three times before she ever even gets to a Sunday. Because what often happens is, is whenever a curator of an event is putting together a an order of of a program, they go, oh, we should get this one person to speak. Well, we probably need a woman. Oh, well, we we probably need a black guy or black girl or something. And so they 
they fill their roster and then they give them that one opportunity. But because that woman, that person of color, whatever, has not been given that many opportunities, they'll fall flat on their face. And then go, well, see, we, we had one and you, you see what happened? Yep. And so, and, and so it, there is, you, you can't give opportunity without training where there's so many people that it's just like, well, if I'm going to give you an opportunity, you got to kind of come with the goods. But my story is one of so many great white leaders that didn't, that gave me so many opportunities that I had, I had so many opportunities to fail, to get good at what I do. So some people go see, well, Ryan can do it. It's fair. It's equal. No, it's not because I was given more than enough opportunities to get 10,000 hours in my skill set, Whereas um, there are plenty of African-American executive coaches and speakers who will go to the grave, not getting a 10th of the opportunities I've been given because white people gave me access. And so, and I was also given training. I was also given some, I was equipped with some tools to get better. So I, I think for, if, if there's one last practical thing that I could echo to white leaders, I would just, I wouldn't be looking to just, well, we should probably promote a black guy. Mm. I would be thinking, what could we do to tip the scale in their favor so that they're trained for a position? I don't want to be promoted because of the color of my skin. I want to be promoted because I've earned it and I'm qualified to do so. And there's a lot of qualified individuals within your organization or that want to work for your organization that they simply couldn't afford an education. Dude, I was on the phone with the president of an analytics company the other day. And I said, what degree is required to be on your executive team? And he was like a master's in data, something, something, something. I didn't even know what it was. And I just said, yeah, you know, black people don't talk like that, right? Like, that's not a thing in the black community. There's no one going, you know, when I grow up, I think, you know what you can be, son? When you grow up, you know what? You're, you're going to go to this school. And you're going to get your master's. It's like, like people, they don't even have access to that type of thinking. But he has, you know, four young African-Americans that, you know, simply applied for a job on, you know, Indeed.com or wherever. And, and I said, man, what if you could pay for them to go back to school? Or what if you could cover half of the students? What, 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 if, what can you do to tip the scale in their favor to say, you know what, you may not even be fully qualified for the job, but the 10% that you, you're missing because you, you just wasn't a part of your upbringing, um, we'll, we'll, we'll cover that, that 10%. We'll, we'll, we'll cover the spread on that. So um, I, I just think that there's, when we think of how we can, you know, give our access to others. Um, I, I think it always, I think we all can win together when we're thinking of how can I give someone else an opportunity? But if we give someone an opportunity without training, we are setting them up to fail. So good. So helpful training an opportunity. And we need to start that like yesterday, if we want to build attract to more diverse organizations. Is that what you're saying? Like start immediately in the training and opportunity category? Sure. I mean, sometimes it's, uh, 
So we throw around a term like this. Now I want you to start a business. Well, it just depends on how you grew up. That's very intimidating for one person. You know, uh, one of my business mentors, he often said to me, you know, you can tell your upbringing by what magazine was on the coffee table growing up. And the, and the magazine that were on the coffee table growing up in my house was Christianity Today and Sports Illustrated. And I said, what was the, what was the magazine on the coffee table in your house growing up? And he said, um, Fast Company <laughs> yep. and Money Magazine. And so his family, you know, they got, I don't know, four or five companies. So starting a business to them is second nature. Starting a business in my family is like rewiring your entire brain to become a different person. But yet we can watch the same motivational video that says you can be anything you want and you can start. It's like, well, you know, that's, that's not the easiest thing to do. And so sometimes when I encourage someone to do something, I also have to pause long enough to not just say, hey, go for your dreams. But hey, here, here's how you can actually do that. So um, I have so many people, man, starting a podcast. I, I just don't know where to begin. And it's like, well, I can tell you. You know, so I think I think that's part of, you know, not just helping someone see the opportunities that exist in the world for them. But I also think extending some um, some opportunity for training and saying, hey, this is this is how you this is how you do this. This is how you can kind of take things to another level. So. Yeah, man, I love that. And honestly, Ryan, and when you say Christianity Today and Sports Illustrated, I can't get over that because the opportunities that God has opened in your life, it's just funny to me to see Isn't it? and really Isn't cool it to see the spaces God has put you in because of some of your oh, passions yeah. that you're uniquely uh-huh. designed for. So I, I, can't, I can't leave that image because I think it's really cool how yeah. God has married those together. And you've really been able to bring your faith into many spheres, but also the sports Man, we could talk forever on this. For sure. This is really, really good. What are some helpful resources? We've got a list going uh, over on our field notes page at Stay Forth. Um, and whether it's physical uh, resources, maybe things we could add or services we could add uh, to our teams, sure. uh, companies, um, books, uh, documentaries, movies, anything that we as white leaders can educate ourselves more uh, on racial reconciliation and equity. Sure. So if you go to ryanleak.com right now, there is a a pop-up that comes up right away. It says, Dear White People and Other White People. Um, What it is, is it's a free PDF of uh, movies, books, um, and other resources that you can check out just to educate yourself on on, uh, equality, race, diversity. Um, And then the other one that I would encourage you to do is go to coreyevanleak.com. Dot com, who is my brother, he, uh, you know, his biggest thing is, you know, justice, faith and culture. And he has lots of resources. He has a whole, a whole podcast that's dedicated to a lot of these issues. He also does uh, diversity and inclusion training. He has a certificate from Cornell University uh, for diversity and inclusion. So um, I would encourage you, you know, bring him to your organization, have him do seminars and have him uh, do his thing to, to help uh, the organization. Um, And yeah. So I recommend. 
Awesome. Phenomenal. We'll add those to the show notes as well. Guys go over to stateforth.com. Just click on field notes. We've got resources for white leaders to educate ourselves. This summer is a great time to do that. Please guys, let's lean in. Let's do the work. Let's spend some time. You can do it anonymously. I'm just finishing up right now. One of the resources on that woke church um, by Dr. Eric Mason, absolutely loving it. Don't know why it's taken me so long to to read it. And soon I'm actually going to do a summary of that. Ryan, it's been so good chatting with you, man. Anything else? Anything Thanks, else man. you want to say to white no, leaders man, out there? No, 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 man, I'm good. Appreciate you, man, your, your life and your ministry and just the posture by which you lead. Thanks for helping us today. Absolutely, man. Well, guys, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Um, All of these have been very eye-opening. They've been very thought-provoking. They've been very real, and they've been very good. Um, There's a lot of hope in these, and especially this one. I loved the practicality and the profound honesty and simplicity with which Ryan unpacked and shared his perspective with the way things are in our culture and what white leaders can do to move forward and to be better equipped to lead well for the long haul. Um, Because if we want to lead well for the long haul, we have to lead together. If we want to build bridges to a better tomorrow, we have to lead better together and we have to start taking actionable next steps just to be better and to be more informed and to learn. So I hope that you've enjoyed this. As always, head over to stayforth.com forward slash field notes. That's stayforth.com forward slash field notes. We've put together a great list of resources and content to help white leaders educate themselves. Um, We're always growing it. It'll always be there for you. Share this podcast with a friend, leave us a rating and review, and we will see you on the next episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast.